Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. When I was a teenager, young teenager, I had to get a series of pick lines uh, put into my arm. And it, it, was, it was rough. I, they would lay me down and they'd say, okay, hold your arm still. For the life of me, I don't know why they didn't restrain my arm, but they would, like, it made no sense, but that, hold still, just hold still. And they would put like a needle, which is like not, not the longest needle you've ever seen, but the widest needle you've ever seen. <laughs> and they'd put it in, into the arm and, you know, they had all sorts of gauze and everything, but then blood would just everywhere. You could just feel it. It was like taking a shower. And they'd throw the pick line up the arm. You could see them like moving it up and you're like, oh. And I can remember sitting there in pain, hold still, hold still, hold still, right? And, and in my brain, I'm thinking, man, this is, this is like a hundred years, right? It felt like hours. Now, truthfully, it's probably only like five minutes, but man, it was so painful. It was hard. It was difficult. And I can remember just thinking, how long? How long? If, uh, if you're anything like me and you look at certain areas of culture and there's things that are not functioning correctly, there's things that are difficult, there's, there's places where people are hurting or injuring others, and you've prayed to God, God, can you come and fix this? God, when will the injustice end? And you pray, how long? How long are you going to take? You can understand what it's like to just sit there and feel powerless, unable, while you either experience pain yourself or you watch others in pain or you watch injustice continue to reign. That's kind of the context that we find Habakkuk in, where he is crying out, to God. Now, we were in Daniel for a while. That was after the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into exile into Babylon. <clears throat> we're going back in time a little bit, and this was before Judah was taken into exile. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel, God had already judged, and he had already essentially wiped them out. Some of them went in exile with the Assyrian army. God had warned them for centuries, repent, stop sinning, Stop worshiping false gods, stop doing injustice to each other, and they did not listen. And so finally, God allowed the Assyrians to wipe them out. Now, if you're the southern kingdom of Judah and you just saw your neighbors who worship the same God as you get wiped out, you'd probably want to, you know, get your act together and say, okay, all right, I've learned my lesson. Wisdom is learning the lesson from other people's consequences, right? That's good wisdom instead of having to endure it yourself but they didn't. Instead, the southern kingdom of Judah continued to sin. They continued to follow false gods. They continued to do injustice to their neighbors. And that's the context we find in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So here he is. He's saying, how long? God, when are you going to do anything? He's, I mean, look at the 
frustration. It's almost an accusation. Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity? Why, why do you make me watch evil? And why do you idly look at wrong? God, you're not doing anything. I've been praying and praying and praying, and yet you do nothing. How long? How long will you wait? Uh, so I, Habakkuk is here, and he's talking about the injustices that he sees in his society. And I, I guess let's make this a little interactive. I have my answers, but I'd be more interested to hear your answers. What do you think breaks God's heart about our culture today? I know, a huge can of worms, isn't it? Most everything. <laughs> what else? <laughs> More concrete. <laughs> hmm? Greed? Greed, yes. Hmm? Oh, you can't mention God in school, yeah, in, in context. Um, to, to go back to greed, oh, it's incredible, right? If you look at, uh, at uh, the salary wages, from 50 years ago, the difference between the lowest earner and the highest earner, right? It was like, you know, the highest earner would make like 50 times more. And now it's like 800 times more, right? Like, what? why does it have to be like that? You know, who really needs an extra billion dollars? <laughs> um, uh, right? What, what else? Oppression? What kind of oppression? Yeah, people who love their power and they love to use their power to manipulate others. What else grieves God's heart? Yeah, people leaving church. Church numbers are down in, in general, turning their back on God. Uh, right? And, and remember Jesus, he said in, in, uh, as he stood over Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would love to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not have me. Uh, Jesus lamenting, I just want to love you, and you don't want my love. That's hard. What else? What? Persecution, yeah. Emo uh, social persecution, sure. Abusive children, yeah, that's heinous. Heinous. Grieves God's heart. What else? Yeah, hypocrisy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. You're right. So we mentioned abuse of children, right? Racism, you know, we saw is still unfortunately alive and well as, as things go on, as you hear conversations. If you don't believe me, go on to any YouTube chat channel, right? There was a, there was a sweet little commercial a few years ago that Cheerios put up, and they had to remove the video from social media because of the level of racist comments that were on there. People with their own real names making horrendous comments about a little girl. That grieves God's heart. Why? Because God has created humanity, one blood, one people. We're all made in God's image. You see the, uh, the rise of uh, fathers who... Um, are not involved in their own children's lives. That grieves God's heart. Grieves the children too. It's hard. There are so many injustices. There's so much 
wrong, the, the disconnection that we feel. The millennials and Generation Z are the loneliest generations. That's not the way God created us to be. He created us to be in community. That grieves God's heart. Uh, someone mentioned power, right? The power that people have and they hold on to it. And Jesus taught us that we should use power to serve others, not to be served. And yet we don't see that. We pe- see people using power to grow their own their own base to, to, to be able to control and manipulate other people. That's not right. It's not right. And you know what? The church should be able to stand, right? The church should say, wait a minute, let's rise above all of this. And, and the church should be the one that says, look, we don't have to play the game everyone else is. We can give you hope when the society says that everything is wrong. We should be able to, to give you, you peace. We should be able to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ that says that God loved us so much he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for our sins, and whoever trusted him can have eternal life. They can have their sins forgiven. They can have a new walk with him. They have meaning and purpose in this life and in the life beyond. They're adopted by God. Even if your father and mother abandon you, yes, you have God as your heavenly father. He loves you. He knows you by name. He knows the hairs on the top of your head. He can count them. Not even your mom can do that. Nor would you want her to, because that'd be a long process. And yet, where is the church in the middle of all of this, all the, the chaos and, and swirling? And, and I talk to people of all walks of life. How, is, how are things in our culture right now? And, and they have different responses, but they all, don't think, they all think it's not going well. Where is the church? Are we giving hope? No. Unfortunately, the church, just like ancient Judah, we're wrapped up in our own problems. You see pastors of these mega churches having to step down because it's turned out that they're bullies, that they use their power to lord over other individuals. You see sexual abuse scandal, scandal after sexual abuse scandal where the pastor is sexually abusing a member of his congregation. And yes, when a pastor sleeps with Uh, someone from his congregation, even if it's an adult, it's always sexual abuse. Always. It's illegal in like 17 states. It should like kind of like if a counselor sleeps with their patient or a doctor sleeps with their patient, it should be illegal in all 50 states, in my humble but correct opinion. And worse than that, though, you see spiritual leaders, pastors, and leaders sexually abusing children. In fact, we're we're so stuck in this. I remember, you know, I served Southern Baptist churches for, uh, I don't know, 17 years or so, 18 years. And I remember hearing someone in our denomination saying, we're not a Southern Baptist church if you're visiting here right now. Um, but, but I remember hearing someone uh, in the Southern Baptist denomination high up there, he was criticizing the Roman Catholic church. He says, oh, we don't have that problem. We don't have that problem. You know, and, and thank goodness we don't have that problem. Yeah, okay, and then there was an expose. And the reality was is that that person who said that, he knew that there was a problem because there were secret dossiers all around. So while the church should be helping the culture and saying there is hope, there is light and life. We're failing just as bad as everybody else. How long, oh Lord, are you going to just watch it all burn to the ground, Habakkuk says. His culture and his religion is totally sideways. And so if you're like me and you, you look at everything happening, both in our culture but, but also in the church, the universal church, in America at least, we say, what's going to happen? What should we do 
What should we do in the face of a wicked church culture? When you see evil happening, and it happens, I, I think, across all stripes of churches and all denominations and all flavors, high church, low church, and whatever's in between. What should believers do? What should you and I do when you are so grieved by the wickedness you see in God's own church? That is the cry Habakkuk gives, and God does answer him. Verse 5, the Lord answers, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and they take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So Habakkuk is yelling at God, how long? When are you going to do something, God? And God says, it's going to happen soon. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans are also known as the Babylonians. So technically, the ethnicity of the Babylonian Empire, they're Chaldeans, but they built up the city Babylon so great that they started calling them Babylonians. Uh, and so, so this is Babylon. Babylon eventually overtook the Assyrians, and Babylon began conquering the Middle Eastern world and beyond. Swift as eagles. And there's imagery here. He says they, the way they take over a city, they build up earth. Their army is so big that their people can come with shovels. While you're trying to shoot them, you can't shoot them down fast enough. They build up an earthen bridge up to the top of your tower. They run over and they just take the city. You're just being swarmed. And so God says, oh, I've got a plan. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the evil Chaldeans, the evil Babylonians, the people who don't care that you were made in God's image, the people who don't acknowledge that Yahweh, the Lord, is the one true God. I've got a plan. I've warned my people. I've warned my people. You see their injustice, Habakkuk, and I am about to overtake them. I'm going to utterly destroy. I'll take them into captivity. I'll capture them like, like sand. Okay. So he says to Habakkuk, essentially, how should you deal with the wicked culture? Believers should deal with a wicked culture by faithfully waiting for God's judgment to come through the culture's own wickedness. How do we, how do we deal with a wicked church culture? Well, we continue to be faithful to God while patiently waiting for God to deal with the wickedness through its own evil. Hmm. It's kind of like, um, it's like doing drugs. Is doing drugs the absolute most evil thing that you can do? No, 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 it's not, right? It, it's not good. I'm not saying it's good. Don't come away from here like, Pastor Nathan said drugs are good. Um, he's a reverse dare program. No, please don't do that. Uh, 
but it's not the worst thing you can do. But here's the thing. If there's a young man, let's say, and he's, he's getting into drugs, uh, he has to go to a dealer, right? So he goes to the dealer to get the drugs from the dealer. Now, I'm just asking you to use your moral imagination. Who do you think has done more, more morally worse things? The user or the drug dealer? The drug dealer, right? This is the guy selling drugs to kids. This guy's just using drugs, right? This guy's selling drugs to kids uh, and, and, and other unsavory things and illegal things that he has to do. Now, the drug dealer on the street, that's not the main guy, right? That's just like whatever. Uh, he's got a distributor that he goes to. So who do you think is worse, the street drug dealer or the distributor? Who do you think has done worse things? The distributor, right? And that guy's got another person, and it gets worse and worse. Here's the deal, right? So like the distributor, man, there's probably murder involved with this. There's probably physical violence that's happened. Now the problem with the user, he's doing something that's bad. It's not the worst thing in the world, but he's doing something that's bad. But his bad thing has put him into contact with someone doing something worse and puts him into contact with someone doing something even worse. I think that's the image that God is giving Habakkuk here. He's saying, look, Judah has continued to follow these false gods from these other nations. And they've continued to do these evil things and this injustice. And by doing so, is Judah the absolute worst nation in the world? No, not by far. But I've warned them for centuries, and they will not return to me. They will not stop worshiping false gods. They will not stop the injustice that they do within their own communities. It has put them in contact with people like the Chaldeans, like the Babylonians, and I will use that evil and wicked culture to wipe them off the planet. Habakkuk, you continue to be faithful. Wait patiently. You be faithful. Don't, don't get frustrated and give up. Don't give in and become like the wicked culture you're, you're obsessed about and crying about. You continue to be faithful in the midst of this. And that's hard. It's very hard. It's kind of like if, uh, well, I know a number of years ago, there was a hurricane coming into Texas, and the, uh, the, a lot of people were not evacuating. It was like a serious hurricane, right? And so they're telling everyone, go, go, get out, 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 and they weren't. And finally, the government had told, they got on TV, and they said, if you are not evacuating, please take a Sharpie marker and Sharpie your social security number on your arm so we can identify your body when we find it. Wow. Sometimes it feels like that as a Christian, doesn't it? Where you're just trying to warn people, this is not helpful. This is not healthy. Our, our obsession with political power is not healthy. Our, our, uh, the way we treat other people, the dehumanizing language we will use to people to their face and more prominently online, that is not helpful. That is not good. The person you're talking to on the other end of that computer has been made in God's image and Jesus died for that person. It's not okay to dehumanize people like this. It's not okay to dehumanize your enemies. It isn't. Even if your enemies are atrocious. But as a Christian, we say over and over again, and, and we say the same things, and we warn, and we warn, and we warn, and we see our own brothers and sisters. Oh, my goodness. I, I've had, had difficult conversations with ministry leaders um, outside of my, my congregations over the years, and, and it's frustrating. They won't listen. They won't listen. 
So it's kind of like when the hurricane is coming, all you can do is warn and say, get out, get out, get out, and sometimes they don't. I had a friend, family friend, her and her husband at the time lived in Mississippi, and they had tornado warnings. They didn't have a basement, but their neighbors had basement, a basement. And so she said, all right, let's go. And, and she took the kids into the basement. They got all of their fun electronics and everything and food, and they get, go into the neighbor's basement. And you got to get the necessities down there. So she goes in the neighbor's basement, and the husband's just kind of, you know, dragging his feet. Come on, let's go. He's like, no, I'm tired. I don't, I don't want to go. I'm done. I'm done. He's like, I'm sick and tired of going, and then nothing happens. And she's like, no, this is serious. This is the worst one yet. Like, you can hear the sirens. Please, let, let's go. And he just refused to go. So she just, she went. They went into the basement, locked the door. And he sat in the living room, hanging out. And then you know what happened? A tornado came and picked up a tree in their front yard and threw it into their living room. It missed him by mere inches. Fortunately, he survived. But sometimes you don't if you don't listen to the warning. It's frustrating to warn people, and they don't care. But yet, God tells Habakkuk, you continue on your way. I have a plan. Now, you might have an objection here. I know uh, years ago, I was uh, teaching through this text in a, uh, in a podcast, and uh, <laughs> it wasn't my podcast. It wasn't a podcast. I was, I was just invited to be a guest on it. So we were talking about this text, and the big idea of this text is what should believers do in the face of a wicked church culture or a wicked culture, right? What do we do? And the answer is to wait patiently, to be faithful, wait patiently for God to bring justice via its own wickedness. And uh, the guy, like, I, I got this whole blog post, and he, like, did a caricature of me as, like, this guy chomping down on uh, uh, potato chips watching TV with a remote control. It was, like, a really ugly caricature. I wish I'd saved the picture. I couldn't find it again. Otherwise, I'd throw it up there. Because he said that's the lazy Christian response. This is what lazy Christians do. Because you know what? If you really cared about the culture, if you really cared about the church, you're going to fight, Right? I mean, that's my, that's my go-to. I want to fight. When I see injustice, I want to fight, 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 fight. And I want to do however I, I, whatever I have to do in order to fight the injustice that I see. And so I got this whole blog post about how lazy, you know, name and everything, uh, lazy Christians, and this is all lazy. Now, well, this is exactly what Habakkuk says to do. God doesn't tell Habakkuk, Habakkuk, what you're going to have to do, you're just going to have to preach harder, buddy. Right. You're just going to have to grab them by their ankles and drag them out of, out of whatever sin they're involved with. That's not what he says. He says, I'm going to answer it. I'm going to bring justice. And it's going to come through their own wickedness, through their own wicked political dealings. It's going to utterly destroy their wickedness. I'm going to take care of it. I don't know about you. I don't like waiting. Waiting is hard, isn't it? Something uh, Haddon Robinson used to say, he'd say, don't just do something, wait. <laughs> That's so frustrating, isn't it? And yet over and over in Scripture, we are often called to wait upon the Lord. Now, there are certainly times all truth in Scripture is held in tension, okay? So there are times in Scripture where we are supposed to do things. And there are, are times in Scripture where we are called to, to go call out on godliness. But there are times where God says, Right now, I need you to be faithful and wait patiently. And let's be honest. Okay, let me be honest with you. It is hard enough for me to be faithful to God in my own personal life than it is to change the whole world. I mean, we all think we're going to change the world. 
It's hard enough to me, for me to be faithful in my own personal life. And so for Habakkuk, as God's telling him, why not, Habakkuk, you be faithful with your family that you have around you and whatever situation God's put you in? How hard, those of you who have families, how hard is it to be faithful to God and to, you know, have the fruit of the spirits within your own family? Love, joy, peace, patience. For crying out loud, we're getting ready for church this morning. And one of my kids is like, stop yelling at me. And I'm like, oh, that was a tone. I have not begun to yell. <laughs> and then, of course, ah, you know. What, what was the fruit of the Spirit? Gentleness, right? Gentleness. How hard. Is, I'm getting ready for church to come and preach to you, and I'm all like, you want to see not gentle? I'll show you not gentle. How hard is it for us to be faithful in our own personal lives, in your work? Right? Those of you who have jobs, how hard is it to be faithful to God in your jobs? It's hard. It's hard. Let alone, well, I'm going to go change the whole world. How hard is it to be faithful in your marriage or in your relationships or in your family or in your neighborhood with your community, with the neighbor that's so obnoxious and you don't want to deal with that neighbor anymore, and yet God calls you to love them? It's so hard. Why not be faithful? The other objection you might have to this text is, well, wait a minute. Judah is not bad as Babylon. Babylon, I mean, they are awful. They are terrible. Awful murderer, torturers. Uh, just all the things that they did were terrible. What, why, why, why are you going to use Babylon, evil Babylon, to utterly destroy not as evil Judah? That doesn't make sense, God. And if that's your objection... You're going to have to come back next week because that's, that's Habakkuk's second objection that we're going to look at next week. But he tells Habakkuk, how do you deal with this wicked culture? Faithfully wait for God until God brings judgment through its own wickedness. The issue with evil is that it utterly destroys itself. And God is showing Habakkuk, I have a plan. I haven't been, I've been watching this and it grieves me. I haven't been, been sitting up here going like, oh, well, what's going on? I haven't been take, not taking action. I have a plan. Don't worry. I will deal with injustice. I will deal with evil. I will deal with wickedness. You be faithful in the meantime. I personally have, you know, watching the culture and everything, at least in America, I really think America is, the, Amer the church in America is undergoing a purifying process on all sides. If you're a left-leaning church, if you're a right-leaning church, I, I think God is putting us through a purification process, and it is painful, and it hurts. And far too long, we have believed, the church has gone, whether you're, you know, depending on what your doctrinal flavor is, um, but, but we have, we've, we've fallen into the trap that, that all of America has fallen into, into this dichotomy. Right? Where you say, well, if they're a Democrat, they're either all a demon or all an angel. Or if they're a Republican, they're either all demon or all angel. No, these are flawed people made in the image of God who Jesus died for. And, and America is not the kingdom of God. 
The Democrat Party is not the kingdom of God. The Republican Party is not the kingdom of God. I've talked through decades of friends who are frustrated with their political party, right? That they grew up with their parents or their friends or or their church. And and they go, I'm done being a Republican. I can't stand them anymore. I'm going over here to the promised land, the Democrats, right? Or vice versa. And you know what the reality is? Neither of them represent the kingdom of God. The church has always functioned best when we are the moral voice of whatever community, whatever nation we are a part of, where we rise above the political process, which is when I was candidating here and I was asking really obnoxious questions of you because I was checking you out as much as you were checking me out, and I found there's a good mix of Democrats and Republicans in this church. And you know what I said? I I said this, and a few of you cringed, but I said, praise God. Because I think that's the Holy Spirit telling us, working through each and every one of us believers, saying that the kingdom of God is bigger than right-wing or left-wing politics. The kingdom of God is more powerful. The kingdom of God is more glorious. The kingdom of God will have a bigger impact in this world. If the church, if us Christians, and by the church, I mean us Christians. I don't mean just the pastors. Yeah, there's some obnoxious pastors out there who are trying to grab onto political power. But I think if us church, if we could rise above that, and yes, we still have our political leanings, but if we could rise above that and say, you know what though? There is a kingdom that is without end. It is already here, and it is coming in power one day when King Jesus is here. And despite our divisions, our church will be together. And despite our, our feeling, because our right now our culture, oh my goodness, I've talked to with a few people this week where they're like, you can't even disagree with people, and they disown you about politics. We kill ourselves over politicians who will never grieve with you when you're sad, will never know your name, and don't have a clue about who your family is. And yet we're willing to divide our own families over that? No, the church is better. The church needs to be the city on a hill, as Jesus called it, that says, yes, we have our differences, but the thing that unites us, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, is far greater, far more glorious, and there is a kingdom coming that is without end, the kingdom of King Jesus his glory, his righteousness, his power, which teaches us that we have power through serving others, not by lording our power over others. If we can do that, our culture will see, they will repent of their sins and believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. Look what the writer of Psalms said. He said, this is incredible. I mean, it's like ripped out of the headlines. Do not trust in nobles, in a son of a man who cannot save When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground, and on that day, his plans die. Some translations will say, uh, don't put your trust in princes. The incredible thing about this text, he's talking about about, uh, 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 people who have a lifelong appointed, uh, you know, a noble, a prince, right? They're they're a noble and prince for their whole life. And yet, still he says, hey, don't put your trust in them, because as soon as they die, their plans die with them. I mean, we're, we're even in worse off shape. You have four years, maybe eight. <laughs> and we put all of our hope and trust and fears and desires into one person to be elected. And if that person's elected, ah, life is good. And if they're not, all hope is lost forevermore. It's only eight years. And when they're out of office, their plans are gone with them. No, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. So, Yes, we could be cynical about the culture. 
But instead, what we should do as a church is rise above the injustices that we see, rise above the frustrations that we see, rise above this, this false dichotomy of, well, you either have to be this or you have to, have to be that, or, and you're all an angel and all a demon. No, rise above it. We rise above it and we say, we have differences, and yes, they matter. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, look, because you are a member of the kingdom of God, yes, you are still going to have your political leanings, but at best, you can't call, if you're a Christian, you can't call yourself a big D Democrat or a big R Republican. At best, you can say you're a little R Republican and a little D Democrat. Because before that, and supremely above all that, is the kingdom of God, which is here and coming in power and glory. And we need to give hope to this world. I praise God that this church allows people to be on both political aisles, and that at this point so far, what I've seen is we can rise above it. That is the message that we need to show this world. Because when you see wickedness in our culture, in the church, what does God call us to do? To be faithful while we wait for God to bring justice, whatever he does. I know it's hard. It's hard to wait. It's hard to be faithful when you see all of these wrong things happening in the church, happening in the culture. But when we're faithful, God will work. Be faithful. Let's pray. Father, you are purifying your church. It is painful, it is difficult, but it is good. You are using this refining fire to change us, to take out the impurities, our false beliefs that somehow salvation will come through, through political leaders, our false beliefs that if we disagree on anything, we should be divided. You are purifying us and returning our hearts back to you. And it's difficult because we see brothers and sisters who are so obsessed with their sin, obsessed with, with power over others, that they're willing to walk away from your church. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that you'll continue to purify us. I pray that you'll continue to change us. I pray that the physical fire that burn this church to the ground in 1989, that we will hold that as a metaphor for a supernatural purification, that those fires never stop burning, that you are always purifying us, always changing us, helping us to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, to love others, to love our enemies, to offer forgiveness to those who don't deserve it, to serve the poor and the needy, to be a place that loves you and loves your word and loves your justice and loves your grace. That those purification fires, they will always be burning, always reforming us, always changing us. And yes, Lord, as we grieve the sins of the church, you will help us as individuals and as a congregation together to be faithful. And when we have disagreements and when we have frustrations with each other, we pray that you will unify us and help us to rise above those things because we realize that none of us are perfect and yet we're declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Help change and transform us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. 
thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbcterrytown.org.